Our sermon today comes from Psalm 18. Now, each week that we look at the Psalms, we're reminding ourselves that behind and beneath the Psalms, there is a worldview that flows from knowing the Lord Himself. And I want us to take a look at the, the worldview again using these questions and answers developed by Jay Sklar. I'll read the questions if you can read the answers. First, who is the Lord? the God of steadfast love and justice. What does He do? He blesses and protects those who embrace His covenant from the heart while demonstrating His justice against those who rebel against Him. When does He do these things? Often in the here and now and certainly in the world to come. So what should we do? Embrace His covenant from the heart and wait patiently yet fervently for his justice. We're going to see that in Psalm 18, David expresses this worldview as he looks backward over the course of his life. Because many difficult years have passed since Samuel called him from tending flocks and anointed him as king. But now his enemies are gone. And now he sits on the throne in peace. And looking back over it all, David recognizes the steadfast love and the justice of God. And with Holy Spirit-inspired hindsight, he sings to give thanks. So let's listen to David's song and let's give thanks to God with him. But first, let's pray. Pray with me. Blessed Lord, you have caused all Scripture to be written for our learning. Grant us so to hear them, read, mark them, and inwardly digest them that we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Psalm 18. To the choir master, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who addressed the words of this song to the Lord on the day when the Lord rescued him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. He said, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. The cords of death encompassed me, the torrents of destruction assailed me, the cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. Then the earth reeled and rocked. The foundations also of the mountains trembled and quaked because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. 
He rode on a cherubim and flew. He came swiftly on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him, thick clouds dark with water. Out of the brightness before him, hailstones and coals of fire broke through his clouds. The Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the Most High uttered his voice, hailstones and coals of fire. And he sent out his arrows and scattered them. He flashed forth lightnings and routed them. Then the channels of the sea were seen, and the foundations of the world were laid bare at your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils. He sent from on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because He delighted in me. The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, He rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. All His rules were before me and His statutes I did not put away from me. I was blameless before Him and I kept myself from guilt. So the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in His sight. With the merciful you show yourself merciful. With the blameless man you show yourself blameless. With the purified you show yourself pure. And with, with the crooked you make yourself seem tortuous. For you save a humble people, but the haughty eyes you bring down. For it is you who light my lamp. The Lord my God lightens my darkness. For by you I can run against a troop, and by my God I can leap over a wall. This God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in Him. For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? The God who equipped me with strength and made my way blameless. He made my feet like the feet of a deer and set me secure on the heights. He trains my hands for war so that my, arm can, my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have given me the shield of your salvation and your right hand supported me and your gentleness made me great. You gave a wide place for my steps under me and my feet did not slip. I pursued my enemies and overtook them. And I did not turn back until they were consumed. I thrust them through so that they were not able to rise. They fell under my feet. For you equipped me with strength for the battle. And you made those who rise against me sink under me. You made my enemies turn their backs to me. And those who hated me, I destroyed. They cried for help, but there was none to save. They cried to the Lord, but he did not answer them. I beat them fine as dust before the wind. I cast them out like mire in the streets. You delivered me from strife with the people. You made me the head of the nations. People whom I had not known served me. As soon as they heard of me, they obeyed me. Foreigners came cringing to me. Foreigners lost heart and came trembling out of their fortresses. The Lord lives. 
And blessed be my rock, and exalted be the God of my salvation, the God who gave me vengeance and subdued peoples under me, who delivered me from my enemies. Yes, you exalted me above those who rose against me. You rescued me from the man of violence. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations, and sing to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king, and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The first thing that we need to notice about this psalm may be surprising. It's that this psalm is not about us. Not directly, anyway. Many of us read the scriptures, especially the Old Testament, in a way that that puts us right in the center of it. We read the stories of Abraham and Moses and David, and we think that we're supposed to identify with them. Now, it's true that we are supposed to imitate their faith in the Lord. But you can see the error of of identifying yourself with them personally in stories like that of David and Goliath. How many of you have heard that story applied, saying something like, now go and be like David. Now go and trust God and go slay the giants that are threatening you. How many of you have heard that? Lots. Here's the problem with that. You and I aren't supposed to identify with David in that story. We are supposed to see ourselves in those terrified Israelites who are shaking in their sandals. Because like them, our enemy is too strong for us. And we need a true champion to fight for us. And we're supposed to share in their relief as God provides a champion for us like he did for them. He sent them David his anointed king, to fight for his people. And he has sent us his anointed, King Jesus, who fights for us. It's only after he conquers that we follow him into the fight. But what I'm suggesting is that we need to read this psalm in a similar way. Yes, we should individually celebrate God's uh, faithfulness. We should give Him thanks for the way that He has shown steadfast love to us personally. Because He has saved us. But then and now, the Lord saves His people through His anointed King. And it's because God saves His King that the King's people have hope. And so this song is absolutely important to us. It is truly our song that we can sing too. But before this song is ours, it's David's. And ultimately, it's Jesus' song. It's the song of God's King. His song of love and thanksgiving to God. And so to help us understand the king's song, we're going to ask three questions. 
First, why does the king cry out? First, why does the king cry out? Second, why does the king give thanks? Why does he give thanks? And finally, why should we sing with him? Why should we sing with him? First, think about this question. Why does the king cry out? Well, in, if you look at the heading of the psalm, and in verses 4 and 5, David describes the dire straits he was in. Though he should have been embraced as the rightful anointed king of Israel, many enemies, including Saul, sought his death. And surrounded by so many threats, David felt like an animal trapped in the, uh, and tied up by hunters. He felt close to drowning, saying, the cords of death encompass me, the torrents of destruction assailed me. He felt the waves of death crashing over him. Against such evil, David sees how small and how powerless he really is. While his enemies actively pursue him, David is passive here. He's in a position of pure need. Because what can a man do against such death and destruction? Well, as we heard last week in Psalm 17, which is sort of the pre, which is literally the precursor to this, in Psalm 17, he cried out for the Lord to hear him. And that's what he did here. He didn't try to defend himself. He didn't take vengeance on his own, not yet anyway. Instead, he called on the name of the Lord. And interestingly, you can see, you might have noticed that both David and his enemies both cry out to the Lord for help in this psalm. In verse 6 and verse 41, but the Lord only listened to David's cry. Then and now, everybody wants to have divine power on their side, right? But the Lord hears the call of the righteous. Now, we've got to talk about that, just like we did last week. We've got to talk about this aspect of the Lord only hearing the call of the righteous. Look at verse 20. David sings, The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he rewarded me. And I would remind you, just as I did last week, that we need to remember here that David is not crowing self-righteously. His claim to righteousness comes from two things. First, he is saying that in this particular situation, in this season where he was being pursued by people, he has been careful to do what was right. He, he has not wronged these people. He has not sinned against them. And they're pursuing him unjustly. And he's been careful to do what's right. But second, more fundamentally, David is speaking as someone who has embraced the Lord from the heart. His righteousness is not a righteousness that is grounded in his own perfection, but is ultimately based on his faith in the Lord. Look at verse 30. David says that the Lord is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. That is the language of faith. 
David knows who the Lord is. And he's put his hope in him, running to him for refuge. David knows him, believes him to be the kind of God who saves a humble people, he says in verse 27. But he brings down haughty eyes, proud hearts. And so ultimately, we have to say that David is not resting in his own perfection, but rather he's resting in the Lord's perfect righteousness. That's why David looks to the Lord in verse 30 and sings, This God, His way is perfect. And so David can claim righteousness and know that God is dealing so kindly with him because of his right relationship with God that comes from faith. Because he has embraced this covenant-making, covenant-keeping Lord from the heart, that is why he is counted as righteous in God's sight. But it's because he knows the Lord. Because he's in this relationship with the Lord, it's because of that that he's been so careful to listen to the Lord in this particular situation. His words and his actions have been guided by the words and the ways of the Lord himself. And so when David speaks of his own righteousness, this is not salvation by works, as one writer puts it. Because David is already the Lord's. But this is blessing through obedience, which is always the position of the redeemed. That same writer said the reward of David's rescue has not come without consistent and determined commitment to holiness. And we see this in verse 21 and 23. Positively, he says, he kept the ways of the Lord. His rules were before him. David was blameless when it came to these things. Negatively, we could say that he did not depart wickedly from his God. He did not turn away from God's statutes. He kept himself from guilt, which is such an easy thing to accumulate when you are unjustly wronged. In those dire straits, David spent time listening to the God that he loved so that he would know how to respond rightly. And then at least in this moment, David did what was right. That faith obedience that we hear in David here is one of the reasons why God called David a man after my heart. And for you and me in a world, in a world with leaders who don't know the Lord, Leaders who don't hope in him. Leaders who don't listen to his words or follow his ways. We should long for this kind of king. How good would it be to have a king like this? A king who loves the Lord and seeks to do what is right by him, especially in crisis. And that brings us to one of the most important things that we need to notice about this psalm. Something John Calvin pointed out. He said that this psalm agrees better with Christ than with David. 
Because as good of a king as David was, as much as he really did love the Lord and follow the Lord, David was still a sinful man. While David could quite properly use this language of his righteousness within a limited scope of reference, Christ can use it absolutely. Maybe to say it another way, all you have to do is keep reading in David's story to see how David failed to be the good king his people really needed. You already know the story of his sin with Bathsheba, the story of David's adultery and the murder of Uriah, one of his own loyal men. But if you keep reading past this same psalm that appears in 2 Samuel 22, then you'll read in chapter 24 about the time when David disobeyed God by taking a census of the people. Taking a census back then was a way for a king to evaluate his military strength. Uh, It was a way for a king to know just how powerful he really was. But taking a census is something that the Lord said that his kings were not supposed to do. Because God didn't want his kings trusting in their own military strength. He wanted his kings trusting in him. The king was supposed to rely on the Lord for his protection. Trust that the Lord himself would fight for his people just as he had done time and time and time again. But David disobeyed and he took a census anyway. He realized his sin immediately, but his repentance didn't take away the consequences. And in this unusual moment in the history of Scripture, God gave David a choice of what the consequence would be. Three years of famine, or three months on the run with David's enemies in pursuit, or three days of deadly sickness in the land. Three choices. David agonized over that decision. And we hear his faith when he says, let us fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercy is great. But even so, David chose to allow the judgment of God to fall on his people rather than on him. He chose to allow the judgment of God to fall on his people through that deadly sickness rather than expose himself to three more months on the run. He said, let me not fall into the hands of a man. And so 70,000 of his own people died for his sin. It was only after He saw the death of his people that he prayed to God, Behold, I have sinned. I have done wickedly. But these sheep, what have they done? Please let your hand be against me and against my father's house. David's failure pointed his people and points us to our need of a better king than him. Because as goes the king, so goes the people. The king is the representative, and if he fails, if he falls, so do those who belong to him. 
And that is why the gospel of Jesus is such good news for us. Because David may have been the servant of the Lord, the first person to bear that title since Moses and Joshua. He may have been the servant of the Lord, but Jesus is the true servant of the Lord. Who only ever said what the Father told him to say. Who only ever did what the Father told him to do, even in the face of tremendous injustice. Hebrews tells us that in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Faced with death. Jesus cried out to God like David, and the scripture says that he was heard. But the way that God saved Jesus wasn't from death, it was through it. Because Jesus is the better king who doesn't put his people between himself and death. Jesus is the king who puts himself under God's righteous judgment so that we the sheep, don't have to experience that for ourselves. We deserve it because of our sins. But Jesus allowed the torrents of destruction to assail him instead of us. He allowed himself to be caught in the snare of death so that death could not hold you. And so when you see Jesus willingly suffering on the cross for you, then you see the king that you really need. He's the king who laid down his life for his sheep, who endured the shameful death on the cross for the joy of doing his Father's will and for the joy of saving you. And that leads us to the second big question that we're asking of this passage. Why does the king give thanks? The king give thanks for two things. First, because in the, face of the death, in the face of death, the Lord rescued him. And second, because the Lord gives him a kingdom. The Lord gives him a kingdom. First, look at verses 6 to 19. In this extended scene, David describes what the Lord did to rescue him. When death had wrapped him up, the Lord from his temple, the Lord transcendent above creation, the Lord heard his voice and then he came. The description here of earthquakes and storms and fire and parting waters are staggering in contrast to David's weak and needy state. They show the power that God exerted to personally rescue this needy man in whom he delighted. But one writer points out something really vital here. If you know the story of David, then you know that there were never these kinds of dramatic, obviously God-ordained displays of power. None of these things were involved in David's deliverance. He says David was delivered by different means. He was delivered by a Philistine raid, which happened all the time. He was delivered by the wildness of the terrain that gave him places to simply hide. He was saved by Saul's impressionable conscience 
And even by just simply running away, that's how David was saved. But, he adds, that seeming contrast between what's pictured in the psalm and the facts of the story, that contrast is actually the whole point. When David looked back from the vantage point of deliverance, when he looked back, he knew that it could only have been done by the God of Sinai, the God of the judgments on Egypt, the Lord who parted the Red Sea. David could see now that behind all of his circumstances lies the supernatural workings of God. Yes, David may have taken refuge in the cave of Adullam and the rocks of the wild goats, as we see in 1 Samuel 24, but by hindsight, by hindsight, he saw that it was always the Lord who was his rock. It was always the Lord who was his refuge. Concealing his glory, to be sure, behind the dark veil of circumstances, but reigning, reigning from his throne in the interest of his servant. And wasn't it the same for Jesus? Though Jesus in the Gospels is seen by some to be a victim, small and helpless against the schemes of the religious rulers and the power of Rome, we hear Jesus himself saying something very different. He told his disciples ahead of time that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Jesus knew that he must do that because that was the plan that he and the Father had agreed upon before the foundations of the world. Even at Jesus' own trial, he told Pilate, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given to you from above. In other words, Jesus knew that behind his betrayal and his arrest, beneath his own disciples abandoning him and Pilate sentencing him to death, above it all was the Father who was powerfully working out that plan that they had made before the foundation of the world. God was still reigning from his throne in the interest of Jesus, his faithful servant. He was working through Jesus to accomplish that great rescue plan to save you, his people, and to bring you back into fellowship with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Only in Jesus' case, as we saw earlier, the plan was for the king to die for his people. But the word tells us that because he suffered, not for his own sins, but for ours, God rescued him from the cords of death, raising him from the dead, and enthroning him as our forever king. Just like David, God did save his king except he rescued Jesus from death by bringing him through it into eternal resurrection life. You, you can see, as one writer said, that every theme in this psalm gains new depth with Christ because we see that Jesus is that true king who cried out to God and was saved from his enemies, including death itself. He suffered more anguish 
than David ever dreamed of in the process because he became sin for us. But death was not the end of the story for our king. On the contrary, death was actually the beginning of his victory. And just as David sings this song of thanksgiving to God for rescuing him, so Jesus can sing it better than David. I wish we had more time to explore the theme of refuge in the psalm. David sings in celebration that the Lord is his protector. We'll have to do that another time. Because I want us to see how the king not only sings because the Lord is his refuge and protection, he sings all the more because the Lord gives him a kingdom. Because the Lord gives him a kingdom. Even here I have to be brief. But in verses 31 to 45, David shifts. David shifts here from being a passive sufferer to being an active agent, a warrior on the loose. Now in fellowship with God and under his blessing and equipped with the strength of the Lord, David puts into action that claim in verse 29 that by the Lord he can run against the troop and by the Lord he can leap over a wall. The, the picture here is twofold. The Lord gave David a, gives David a kingdom by conquering his enemies, and the Lord gives David a kingdom by giving him a people. A king doesn't have a kingdom if he doesn't have any people, and so the Lord gives him a people. Like pictured in Psalm 2, the king's enemies who oppose him fall under his feet. They perish in the way as they resist him. But those who kiss the king and embrace him, they become his people. Even the Gentiles, foreigners to the Lord and his covenant, even Gentiles from the nations come to serve him. Yes, it says they come trembling at first because they've seen the wrath of this king. They've seen him in his dangerous power. But as they know him, as they know his love for the Lord and his love of his ways, as they know him in his righteousness, will they not be blessed by this king? Will they not flourish under the king whose reign is marked by the steadfast love of the Lord? And so David praises the Lord for subduing his enemies and for exalting him David sings because the Lord strengthened him to reign and gave him a kingdom. And Jesus does the same. Because he suffered for his people, the Father raised Jesus from the dead. And Paul tell us, tells us that he has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But if that vision of Jesus reigning as king over his kingdom, if that vision of Jesus seems distant, if it seems too far off, if Jesus' present reign seems veiled to you, I want you to read these verses of the king on the move, and I want you to remember how active your king Jesus is now. You may not be able to see your king leaping over a wall like David's people could, but look at the church. 
Look at the church and you see the mighty ongoing work of King Jesus. If the stories of David and Samuel and kings are the stories of God giving him a kingdom, then we could say the same as the people of Jesus. We could say the same thing about the book of Acts and the history of the church. The book of Acts shows us that what Jesus began to do and teach in Luke's gospel, he continued to do by his spirit through the apostles and in the early church. And that is an encouraging thought. Because the same spirit of Jesus who was working then is continuing to work in his church today. And so if you want to see Jesus in action today, then look around. Look around at us sinners who the king has subdued and turned into his own people. Look at your brothers and sisters that Jesus is reclaiming, has reclaimed and is keeping for himself. Look at the weak and needy men who shepherd this church and see King Jesus holding us up by his strength. All this and so much more King Jesus is doing even now through his spirit because Jesus is still claiming his kingdom. He's still conquering his enemies and claiming his people, even us, and he will continue doing so until the end, as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. I fully expect to hear Jesus sing on that day when death is destroyed and our lives that are now hidden with him are fully revealed. I fully expect to hear Jesus sing on that day. But this psalm is encouraging to us because our king is singing now. Because his victory has already assured. His kingdom is already established and it's already growing. And that leads us to our final question that we just have to answer so quickly. Why should we sing with the king? Why should we sing today with him? That's well, simple, really. We sing because the people of the king share in the blessing of the king. It was true for God's people under David, and it's true for us in Christ, because God has saved his King Jesus. And in Jesus, God answers our guilty and our fearful cries. In Jesus, God saves us and brings us through death into life. In Jesus, God gives us a king and a kingdom that will endure forever. And so we sing. We sing because Jesus has turned his enemies into his own people by dying in our place. We sing because he has subdued us to himself, not by force, but by his grace. And we sing because his grace is training us to renounce the old, sinful, broken ways that we've lived. And we sing because his spirit is renewing us and transforming us into the kind of people who look and behave more and more like Jesus himself. We sing because our risen, ascended, and enthroned King uses His strength on our behalf. 
We sing because we live under his protection both now and forever so that no weapon that is used against us can ultimately hurt us. We sing because we know that behind the threatening storms of this life, the Lord himself rides on those dark clouds to rescue us. We sing because those storms serve him and will in the end be seen as the way that he was rescuing us from sin and death all along. Even COVID, even the chaos of our country will be shown one day in the light of our King's face. will be understood in the light of His power. We sing because we've been rescued from darkness and we've made, been made citizens of His kingdom of life and light. We sing because He tells us, Fear not, little flock, for it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. But more than all of this, we sing because we love our King. We sing because He first loved us. Let's pray. Father, we praise You and we give thanks to You for this Word that shows us our Savior. Let's us hear His song of thanksgiving and praise to You the powerful God who rescued him, who brought him back from the dead to live forever so that we might live with you. Father, we pray that his song would more and more become our song. That we too would celebrate your faithfulness to us, just like to him. And that we would be renewed more and more in his image. And that we might walk in our times of struggle we might walk with our eyes fixed on you, just like Jesus did. All this we pray in the name of Christ our King. Amen.